everybody, welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. The Black Panther Party was arguably the best known and most controversial of the black militant political organizations in the 1960s, with a legacy that continues to this day. Uh, this is the final Black History Month episode, you guys. Surely it's going to be a two-parter because this is way too long to cover in one episode. Uh, so we'll bleed into March, but that's all good because... Uh, we don't need to relegate uh, talking about black history to only one month. So a two-parter, first part of the two-part series is tonight, you guys. Uh, related reading, a couple articles, Abrin, 1986, The Legacy of the Black Panther Party, and Delhi Carpini, 2000, The Black Panther Party, 1966 to 1982. So this episode, we're really just going to talk about the background of what spawned the Black Panther Party, what uh, what inspired it, what events were happening at this time, and then what is the philosophy that was engendered uh, within the Black Panther Party from, from these events. Uh, next week we'll talk about the policies that they instituted and what they actually did and how they backed up these philosophies that we'll discuss today. So in the 1960s, African Americans continued to suffer economic and social inequality. Uh, poverty and reduced public services continued to characterize urban centers. Residents were subject to poor living conditions, joblessness, chronic health conditions, and violence, uh, and all sorts of other things like this. Uh, these types of conditions contributed to a lot of the urban uprisings in the 1960s and hence the increased police violence which was imposed to try to counteract these things and to impose order many black americans had become disgruntled with the more peaceful uh, civil rights movement and their primary tactics of nonviolence. It just wasn't, didn't seem to be working for a lot of the black population, this nonviolent approach. Um, while Southern blacks had made major gains in voting rights, these gains had not come without numerous murders, beatings, and bombings of blacks by white racists within the police and the KKK. Uh, white racist violence against blacks was on the rise throughout the United States in the 1960s. Failure of Southern white policemen to provide adequate protection for black people and the high prevalence of police brutality against Oakland, the Oakland black population, were other contributing factors to the party's founding. So this is all what led up to uh, kind of the Black Panther Party being started. And in particular, the year 1966 played a big role in in the party's founding. The year 1966 was a pivotal year for the civil rights movement in the United States. The nonviolent integrationist strategy of the NAACP, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee was being challenged by a more militant nationalist type of organization, uh, one of these being the Nation of Islam that Malcolm X was a part of that we talked about uh, back in, in, in that episode. Um, Malcolm X actually had been assassinated just the year before in 1965. So there was this, there was this current happening and there was this uprising that was, that was brewing here. And especially with the assassination of Malcolm X, people were getting angry. In addition, the summer of 1966 to kind of show this anger that was 
on the streets. It had 43 race riots. This was a jump from 15 just two years earlier. 1966 was also marked by an increasingly visible and confrontational anti-war movement and the second wave of the women's movement. So all of these things were coming together to trigger organizations like the Black Panther Party to start. So it w- this was the context in which the Black Panther Party was formed. Huey Newton and Bobby Seale were its co-founders, and they met while they were attending Oakland's Merritt College. Both of them were very active in campus politics, and so they formed the what was called the Soul Students Advisory Council. But the council soon became divided, when some students wanted to organize their activities throughout the entire uh, Oakland community, whereas others wanted to confine their activities just to campus. There was a split here in this Soul Students Union, and this divide led Newton and Seal to resign from the Soul Students Union and um, with ideas of forming a new, more radical organization. And this was how the Black Panther Party was formed. The name of the party was derived from the Freedom Organization of Lones County, Alabama, which was founded in 1966, which used an image of a Black Panther as its campaign symbol. By January 1967, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, the self-defense part of the title was later dropped um, in 1967, but this Black Panther Party for Self-Defense had its first office in 1967, and it was beginning to attract members. So there's the origin. That was the background that led up to the Black Panther Party forming. Now, what is the actual platform and philosophy that that Seal and Newton uh, formed? Well, on October 15th, 1966, Newton dictated a 10-point program that would become the Black Panther's platform that defined all actions of the party. The platform called on government and business leaders to provide remedies, but it also emphasized... uh, the importance of self-determination and the right of blacks to protect their own interests and to secure their own rights by whatever means necessary if these governments and businesses were not able to heed their demands. So although the 10-point policy that we'll talk about here in just a second, although it did call on government and call on business to uh, provide some kind of a remedy for all this the, the, uh, the brutal attacks on black people, the poverty, the crime infested neighborhoods, and, and it, it wanted some remedies for that from the government. It also uh, stood for black people's own self-determination and, and taking matters into their own hands by whatever means necessary, securing their rights and, and advancing their own interests. So it was a mix of these two things. And it was, uh, it was really enticing for a lot of people who joined the party in, in these in the late 1960s. Number one was, they said, we want freedom. We believe that black people will not be free until we were able to determine our destiny. Number two, they said, we want full employment for our people. We believe that the federal government is responsible to give every man employment or a guaranteed income. We believe that if the white American businessman will not give full employment, then the means of production should be taken from the businessman and placed in the community so that the people of the community can organize and employ all of its people and give a high standard of living. This is this socialist idea of spreading the wealth. The Black Panthers were very anti-capitalist and they had the idea that uh, 
Um, we can't just put the power in the hands of a few, as they would say, the white businessmen, the white American businessmen. We got to spread the wealth. And if they're not going to provide for us, let's take it, spread it around so that um, our communities can enjoy a higher standard of living. Number three, they said, we want an end to the robbery by the white man of our black community. We believe that this racist government has robbed us, and now we are demanding the overdue debt of 40 acres and two mules. 40 acres and two mules, they continue, was promised 100 years ago as a restitution for slave labor and mass murder of black people. We will accept the payment in currency, which will be distributed to our many communities. The Germans are now aiding the Jews in Israel for the genocide of the Jewish people. The Germans murdered 6 million Jews. The American racist has taken part in the slaughter of over 50 million black people. Therefore, we feel that this is a modest demand that we make. Um, so what is this 40 acres and two mules? Many of you may be very confused at why are they randomly requesting 40 acres and two mules uh, from from the government? And, and why does the black community deserve this? Well, it is a true thing that was promised to black people after the Civil War, not the two mules part. The mules were really just given to black people just as a as another thing by the Union Army. But black people after the Civil War were promised 40 acres each. After the surrender of the Confederate Army in the Civil War, there was a question as to uh, what freedom really now meant for these emancipated slaves. Without property, money, or education, what could they really do? Most of them didn't have a clear or any type of immediate path to independence, even after the emancipation. Although you're free, are you truly free? Well, you don't really have education. You don't you don't have any money, you don't have any land. So what does freedom really mean to these these black people other than just uh, the words uh, of you being free and, and slavery is no more? So that's what the Union Army thought about. And so in January 1865, Union General William T. Sherman issued his special field order 15, which commanded that 400,000 acres of property be confiscated from the Confederate landowners and it should be redistributed to black families in 40 acre plots. So each family gets 40 acres. As I mentioned, mules were not included in the order, but the Union Army did give some away as part of the effort. So they were trying to give these black people true freedom after emancipation. They did start handing out these 40 acres, but the order was very short lived. Soon after, in the same year, President Andrew Johnson, who had owned slaves and was a public white supremacist, overturned the order before the end of the year and returned the land to the slave owners and the traders who had originally owned it. So black people really, they got nothing after, after emancipation because Andrew Jackson, the president of the United States, overturned that 40 acres uh, order. So this really left f freed slaves with no option now it really forced them into what was called sharecropping and these arrangements were only marginally better than slavery we talked about this as one of the push factors that uh, as a push factor i mean a factor that led a lot of black people out of the south 
and up to the north that triggered a lot of black people being in Harlem for the Harlem Renaissance. And, and part of it was because the conditions of sharecropping were so poor. Um, that was just last episode. So go, go tune into that one. Um, so with sharecropping, I'll explain it again, just for those who haven't listened to the Harlem Renaissance episode. So the white owner of the land or typically white, sometimes there were black owners of land, but typically the white owner of the land would rent his land to the black worker and he would get a share of the crops in the end. But due to the high interest rates that he imposed on the black laborer and some arbitrary charges, it caught many black sharecroppers into endless cycles of debt. So there was no way they could really escape this arrangement. And they were basically still slaves under these white masters um, or property landlords. It now is, but it was basically the same thing. So in a way, the Panthers were right to make the demand of 40 acres and two mules. By the craziest thing is that by some estimates, the value of 40 acres and a mule for those 40,000 uh, freed slaves would be, or 400,000 freed slaves would be worth $640 billion today. So this really would have, it would have changed the United States if the, this promise was kept, but um, the institutionalized racism didn't let that happen. Right up to the presidency, Andrew Jackson overturned it himself. So the Black Panthers requested this, sorry to go on a tangent, but this was the third point of what the uh, of the 10 point program of the Black Panthers. The fourth one was they said, that we want decent housing. We believe that if the white landlords will not give decent housing to our black community, then the housing and the land should be made into cooperatives so that our community with government aid can build and make decent housing for its people. Another socialist idea of, uh, if the capitalist system is failing, then let's spread the wealth. The land should be made into a cooperative and the whole community should profit with government aid, government funded. And so the socialism episode, you can go back. Our content is starting to overlap these days because we're at close to 50 episodes now. So it's inevitable. But in the socialist uh, or socialism episode, we talked about how the it's more of like a planned economy. So the Black Panthers were suggesting that there should be some government planning into how to aid, build up these communities and create decent housing for people rather than just neglecting them because they have no money. Let's put some money in from uh, from all the tax dollars and let's put it back into these black communities. That still doesn't happen to this day. And it certainly wasn't happening in the late 1960s when the Black Panthers were making these these 10 points. Number five, they say, we want education for our people that exposes the true nature of this American society. We want education that teaches our true history and our role in the present day society. We believe in an educational system that will give our people a knowledge of self. If a man does not have knowledge of himself and his position in society and in the world, then he has little chance to relate to anything else. A lot of black history is wiped from the archives, especially in the American curriculum. And they were saying, we want education that teaches us the story of America. How was America built? Really, it was built on the backs of slaves, but they don't tell you that. So this is what they wanted. And, and to create a knowledge of self, create a knowledge of where you come from and your heritage. If you don't know that, they say, 
you have little chance to relate to anything else. And it all starts from knowledge of self. This is a common idea in hip hop as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those ideas in hip hop came from point five in the Black Panther 10 point program. They said as number six, we want all black men to be exempt from military service. We believe that black people should not be forced to fight in the military service to defend a racist government that does not protect us. We will not fight and kill other people of color in the world who, like black people, are being victimized by the white racist government of America. We will protect ourselves from the force and violence of the racist police and the racist military by whatever means necessary. This by whatever means necessary, another overlap with the Malcolm X episode. Um, This is a, a common idea of Malcolm X. As opposed to these more peaceable movements, Malcolm X, when he was in the Nation of Islam, had the idea of, by whatever means necessary, we're going to protect ourselves, even if it does take violence, even if it does take arming ourselves, we're going to protect ourselves. There's the infamous photo of Malcolm X looking out the window with his rifle, and uh, this is the approach that the Black Panthers took after. We'll talk in a second about the influences of the Black Panther philosophy, and Malcolm X was one of these influences. Number seven, they say, we want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. We believe that we can end police brutality in our black community by organizing black self-defense groups that are dedicated to defending our black community from racist police oppression and brutality. The Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States gives the right to bear arms. We therefore believe that all black people should arm themselves for self-defense. So if you see the images of the Black Panthers in the media, you'll see them with rifles. You'll see them armed. There was the open carry in California back then. Um, We'll actually talk in part two of this episode next week about how they actually did organize these uh, these patrol units. So when a police officer was arresting uh, a, a black person, the Black Panthers would pull up. They wouldn't do anything, but they would they would stand there with the rifle and they would monitor and make sure no brutality was occurring. And they would they would kind of lay down the law without <laughs> without really imposing. Sometimes these actually would turn out to be violent, but typically they would they would just be patrolling the communities with their uh, armed up and armed in self defense and making sure that police brutality wasn't occurring. So they took over their own neighborhoods to protect their people. We'll expand on that next week. He said, um, by the way, Judas and the Black Messiah, go check that one out. I'm halfway through. I I wanted to finish it before recording tonight, but uh, yeah, it's just a story about Fred Hampton, who was the uh, Black Panther leader in the Chicago chapter and, uh, and about Judas someone who the FBI sent in to infiltrate the Black Panthers. So uh, I can't fully recommend it because I'm not done yet, but it's, it's been good so far. Number eight, we want freedom for all black men held in federal, state, county, and city prisons and jails. We believe that all black people should be released from the many jails and prisons because they have not received a fair and impartial trial. This is a bold statement. They want all black people to be released from prisons and jails. So... 
notice though how they didn't make the case that all black people are innocent what they really were saying was that all black people should be freed because they have not received a fair and impartial trial so and then the next point we'll just go to the next point because it really touches on this the idea that um, black people are not if they're not being tried in the court by their peer groups, then how are we supposed to say they're getting a fair trial? This actually violates the U.S. Constitution that says that a man should be tried by his peer group. So if if black people are being tried by people who don't understand their situation and are not in their peer group, how are they going to understand what could have led up to to the sequence of events. So this leads into their ninth point that says, we want all black people when brought to trial to be tried in court by a jury of their peer group or people from their black communities as defined by the constitution of the United States. We believe that the courts should follow the United States constitution so that black people will receive fair trials. The 14th amendment of the U.S. constitution gives a man the right to be tried by his peer group. A peer is a person from a similar economic, social, religious, geographical, environmental, historical, and racial background. To do this, the court will be forced to select a jury from the black community from which the black defendant came. We have been and are being tried by all white juries that have no understanding of the average reasoning man in the black community. This is incredible. Uh, these are incredible ideas from the Panthers because they, early on, they realized this fact that no, all black people aren't innocent of, 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 uh, of crimes. And some people truly did commit crimes. And of course there are horrible crimes and atrocities that are committed within the black community. But they're just arguing that, hey, there are definitely a lot of people out there who just by way of not being tried by their peer group, and being tried by people who have no understanding of their situation have gone to jail and have been locked up. Um, these, these all white juries often don't understand the factors that led to some of these crimes of black people, especially when many of the, these black people who commit crimes are only committing crimes because they come from these crime infested neighborhoods that they grow up in. This is their environment all around them. You can't expect them to be, uh, <laughs> to be a black messiah, I guess, just out of, out of an environment like that, out of a poverty-stricken, crime-infested neighborhood. Uh, the U.S. government takes no steps to repair uh, this area either. So why should these black people be tried by people who have absolutely no idea about the situational factors that influence their alleged crimes? The fundamental attribution error is a common effect in psychology, and it's an error that we all commit. It's the tendency to overestimate the impact of, of situational influences on people's behavior. We've talked about this in episodes previously, but it's just the idea that perhaps this all-white jury, not knowing anything about... Uh, the black community or, or uh, the, the community that this, this uh, black person came from, this all white jury may underestimate that the situational factors that play a role in this black person committing this alleged crime. And they may only look at the person himself or herself and not consider what is the situation that could have caused this. The Panthers say 
these all-white juries have no understanding of the average reasoning man within the black community. There's a disconnect there. So they're going to underestimate the influence of the negative environment, and they're going to overestimate the the actual uh, crime or the or the alleged crime, and they're not going to understand what led up to it. So perhaps the Black Panthers are kind of arguing is, if these alleged criminals are judged instead by their peers, their peers would have an understanding of the situational factors that played a role in in these alleged crimes, and maybe they wouldn't be tried so harshly. So that's all the Panthers were saying. They were just saying, it says it in the Constitution that we have a right to be tried by our peer group, and then they went ahead and defined what a peer is. So they figured that the U.S., the jury system is violating its own constitution because they're not letting black people be to be tried by their own peer group. Um, final point, they say we want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, and peace. And to finish it off, they, they take a direct quote from the Declar Declaration of Independence. So look at the way they're, they're almost using the U.S. Constitution and the U.S. Declaration of Independence against itself and saying that this system that's so corrupt, it's it's not even following its own rules. It's not following the peer group rule that's right inside the Constitution, and it's not following this either. Because it says right, they say this, uh, right from the Declaration of Independence, to close out point 10, they say, a United Nations supervised plebiscite or vote will be held throughout the black colony in which only black colonial subjects will be allowed to participate for the purpose of determining the will of black people as to their national destiny. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with a certain unalienable right that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness." <laughs> The Declaration of Independence, they take it right from there. It says right in the Declaration that there, there is meant to be a... Uh, black people should have a vote. They should have the plebiscite that, that is held where they can vote and, and determine the will of their own people and their own national destiny. The truce they hold to be self-evident that all men are supposed to cr be created equal. So why are we getting attacked by the police why are we getting why are we being oppressed as black people you're not following your own your own declaration of independence um it says we have the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and we have the ability to secure these rights and if we can't get these rights we're able we can overthrow the government and institute a new one based on these things so the black panther party here is basically saying we're not making up our own stuff it's not coming out of nowhere we're taking it right from the Declaration of Independence that if you're not following up on your promise that to give everybody the same rights, everybody uh, treat them as if they're created equal, give everyone the right to pursue happiness, life and liberty, then we can overthrow you. And it says it right in your own declaration. So I really w wanted to illustrate the 
interesting philosophy of the Panthers. And uh, we'll talk later about their legacy later in terms of episode two, because we're reaching our 30 minute mark that we typically hit. But about how they're demonized by some, they're uh, lionized, glorified by others. And it's a little bit in between the two. They had had a very interesting philosophy and they did things to back this up too, but they also failed in many ways. We'll talk about that later, but this episode, I really wanted to get at uh, the intricacies of their philosophy, their 10 point program, really that, that uh, brought so many people in and inspired so many. What influenced the 10 point program to close it out? The Black Panthers philosophy was based on individual rights as outlined in the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. So it takes it straight from, uh, these U.S. documents itself, it was influenced by Marxist anti-capitalism, where we talked about how they want to distribute the wealth. One person shouldn't own everything, no landlords, none of this. uh, It should be distributed throughout the black community, and we should be able to build up our communities, build good housing, get everyone uh, with government aid through a more planned economy. Uh, It was, it was, uh, Another influence of the 10-point program was the national liberation theories of Franz Fanon. He was a black psychiatrist and author who fought in the Algerian Revolution. So uh, Newton and Seale read his works, and that influenced the philosophy. And uh, they also were influenced by the self-determination of the black power movement, which was kind of from Malcolm X, from the Nation of Islam, of... uh, determining your own way and taking power into your own hands, power to the people, fight your own fight, self-determination. This was already brewing in the black power movement, uh, especially within the nation of Islam that Malcolm X was one of the main spokes people of. The Black Panther's rhetoric was rife with attacks on capitalism and it demonstrated an attraction to more collectivist solutions to economic and social problems. The party also referred to black communities in the United States as colonies that had to be liberated much in the same way as uh, third world nations did when they were becoming decolonized. So almost the idea of we need to split off kind of like the Pan-African idea we've talked about in some of these black history episodes of uh, we as African-Americans, we are like a colony. We need to separate kind of like these third world nations are become decolonized. We're no longer under the thumb of, uh, of another country or any type of master in any way. This is the self-determination, taking the power into your own hands. Though the Black Panthers did not advocate complete separatism, they weren't completely for going the back to Africa idea like the Marcus Garvey's before this or, or, or different philosophers, but they did place the struggle of black Americans within the context of a larger international black liberation movement. So it really did engender senses of pride in being black because it, they separated it out and they said, we're going to have pride in our blackness and we're going to be able to determine our own way and take matters into our own hands as black people. Only black people were allowed to be members of the Panthers. So that tells you right there how, um, how how much of a separatist movement this really was. Um, That's their origin. That's their philosophy. The Black Panther Party. Thank you guys for tuning in um, next week as I kind of talked about. We're going to talk about what they actually did to back up these things. They were far from all talk, far from just philosophers. 
um, ideas are cheap. I heard that recently from somebody and, uh, they certainly put their ideas into action. So we'll talk next week about their strategies, their tactics, their platforms, their structure, their, how their leadership worked and ultimately their legacy, which because you've just listened to this episode today, clearly has yet to die. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, everybody. Uh, we're growing our community through word of mouth. So if you like this episode, just let one or two people know about it. Just tell them about it. That's all you got to do. You can also do the digital things. You guys have heard them a million times. You don't really need me to say like, comment, subscribe, rate, follow all that stuff. It just helps with the discovery algorithms, you guys. But whatever you do to support listening and watching is always plenty. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. <laughs> Super late night on a Monday, you guys. Um, many of you guys around the world, it's likely Tuesday by now. Uh, <laughs> I guess we're not always coming on Monday uh, with the episode. But so many technical difficulties, you guys, and um, but we're not we're not stopping. We're not giving up. We've said that since episode one. So nothing's gonna stop us. And better late than never, for sure. Even if it is Tuesday morning for some of you guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. We will be back next Monday, as always, or Tuesday. <laughs> For more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody.